I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. And now Draymond Green is suspended for Game 3. It is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Christopher Lee Canty, good afternoon. How are you? I'm outstanding. It's hump day, big fella. Mm. Getting over the hump, just like my Lakers tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies in Game 2. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, but one, let's start one, right one there game with Draymond Green. My, no, hold on, hold on. Um, let me let me enjoy this. One game closer. This segment. One <laughs> game closer to my Johnny Walker Blue. Oh, relax. It's the introduction to the show. It's the first t- first two minutes of the show. You can relax, okay? We got four hours to get just to sports. To move on and Calm yourself this as down. As possible. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm just trying to avoid it and and. Not let you enjoy it as much as possible. That's Why? my plan. Why? Why? I mean, me enjoying it and you being in misery is great for the show, right? And you always say you're doing everything in the best interest of the show. So why not allow your co-host, who happens to be a diehard Laker fan, to enjoy this moment where the guy that he does a show with every single day for four hours a day is absolutely wrong. Let me enjoy that. Well, I, I like to do it when it's best for the show, when it benefits me. Oh, that's okay. how so I. So you're, you're one of those people. Okay. Yes. I got you. Well, that's here's that, the thing: you are do you get new? to enjoy. Of course, I'm one of those people. You do get to enjoy being right about one thing, which is mm. the Draymond Green suspension. Because well, we came on the air yesterday, and that was what you were you were passionate about. You felt strongly that the NBA league office needed to come down hard. They needed to lay the hammer on Draymond Green, and that's exactly what they did because now he's not going to be available for Game 3 on Thursday night. Well, clearly it took them a while to arrive at the decision because they didn't announce it till about 11 o'clock last night. Um, Canty, frankly, uh, I did not think it was headed in that direction based on what yesterday was looking like, but I think they absolutely made the right decision. And I was a little bit surprised that it came around to it just because there seemed to be this idea that this, uh, in the grand scheme, should not lead to a suspension. And I don't get it. I've watched this again and again and again and again. I'm not going to deny Sabonis' role in this, in instigating the whole thing. But Draymond, you had one job. Don't step on the guy's chest. If you don't step on the guy's chest, you are not suspended. And if I were the Warriors, I know they're upset with the league. I'd be a lot more upset with Draymond because as much good as comes with him, this is the bad side. Well, yeah, but you can't say that tongue-in-cheek, though, right? The same thing that you're frustrated with Draymond about in Game 2 is the same thing that makes Draymond Green great. Him being willing to take it to the edge and and cross that line every now and again – is what makes him unpredictable to opponents and provides the intimidation factor that the Golden State Warriors need, especially on the defensive end of the court. So when you're up against a team that has a guy in Domitas Sabonis that's one of the strongest big men in the entire NBA, you need Draymond to be a bit of an agitator. You need Draymond to mix it up a little bit. It just so happens that Draymond was on the wrong side of a player getting goaded in this specific instance. But context matters when we start talking about these situations. And when you look at the play... Draymond Green doesn't stuff on Sabonis' chest without Sabonis grabbing and holding his ankle. And let's not also forget Sabonis flopping when the ball is up for grabs on the rebound. That's a part of this as well. Also, go back to game one. 
Draymond Green is trying to get off of the off of the ground, off of the court, and Sabonis is literally holding him down. That matters, mm-hmm. and that continues to build as a series unfolds and progresses. And so I think the league office missed the mark when it comes to taking all of those different factors into account. But I think the thing that stands out to me as to why the commissioner and Joe Dumars took this stance was the antics by Draymond Green after the flagrant two was issued. Him continuing to go back and forth with the crowd, seemingly inciting a mob that was already riled up because this is the first time that these fans have been able to enjoy a playoff game in Sacramento for the last 17 years. I think that aspect of it is what made it unsettling for league officials. It wasn't too long ago we were talking about a match being struck in Detroit once upon a time when the Pacers were playing the Pistons, and that led to malice in the palace, one of the ugliest moments in NBA history. And so I think with the commissioner on hand and several other league officials, Mike Bass included there, for them to be a part of the crowd in sensing what was taking place in real time, it was unsettling enough for them to say, hey, we're not going to allow this to happen in this series or in any other playoff series this postseason, let's go ahead and send a message loud and clear to the Kings, to the Warriors, and the rest of the playoff field. Well, it was all of the above. It was all of the above. Sabonis has clearly put a target on his back for the rest of the series, for the officials. There's no doubt about that. And Kenty, look, it's fine that that's all they did. I agree. Sabonis got the flagrant one as he should have. You could have even argued maybe he should have gotten a flagrant two at the time. Here's what I'd say, though. This no, is part of the game te- plan. It was just a technical foul. It was just a technical. Yeah. Well, it, this, this is part of the game plan. The part of the game plan is to instigate Draymond because they know that at some point he's going to do something. And while there are times where it helps the Golden State Warriors, there are also the times where it doesn't. didn't help him in 2016, and it didn't help him the other night. Having said all that, I still believe that this is a long series I think the Warriors will rally and win game three at home around all of this. And ultimately here, um, this is, it's a bad moment. You're right. They're trying to send a message, but your playoff history is six flagrants, 27 techs, and 147 playoff games. You're not getting the benefit of the doubt. It's not happening. It's just yeah. not. I'm not saying that history doesn't have to be factored in. I just think that that can't be what rules the day when it comes to the implications, not only for game two, but for game three in the rest of this series. These have been the most entertaining playoff games in round one. I mean, game one, game two of Kings Warriors has been phenomenal. I hate that we're talking about Game three being decided not by the players on the court at the Chase Center, but by the league office making the decision to keep Draymond off the floor in a situation that Draymond didn't instigate. That, We're that's hear more that's from, where I have a problem with it. We're going to have more from Joe Dumars, uh, NBA uh, Executive Vice President, Head of Basketball Operations, on this in just a bit. Canty and Carlin, presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect your family, your phone, and your furry friends with life electronic device, and pet health insurance. What do you got, Canty? If you don't like anything that's going on in the NBA, blame Joe Dumars. If you don't know, you don't know. It's a Detroit ring. Shout out to the 313. <laughs> Let's get to the Suns last night. Back to Booker. It comes the three-pointer. Shoots in. Well, Booker right on target tonight. It is over. Suns win. 
You know, we wanted to protect home court in game two. We got one, and now we're off to L.A. Give it to the Suns. They evened it up when they had to last night, and they got the job done. But, Canty, I did not walk away from that game thinking any differently of this series at the moment. The Suns should be able to get it done. But last night, that looked to me to be a team that, while they won, uh, did not look like a, a championship team in any way. And, frankly, the first thing I thought is, geez, if Paul George was here... I think they'd be in massive trouble right now. I think they'd be in big-time trouble. And I know that's a hypothetical, uh, but it, it just made me think that this is not a Suns team that is going to gel quick enough and get themselves into a position to really contend for a championship. Well, I don't even know if it's a matter of them gelling. I, I just think they have a deficiency when it comes to their second unit that's going to be hard for them to overcome mm-hmm. as we move through the playoffs. If the Suns are fortunate enough to get past the Clippers in the first round, then you're talking about their their upcoming opponent being the winner of that Nugget series. And and I just I, I don't know, big fella. It just feels like a situation where the lack of depth is ultimately going to catch up to KD and Devin Booker. You're talking about two guys that are averaging over 44 minutes a game through the first two series. I mean, through the first two games of this series. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be. Now, I will give credit where credit is due. D-Book was amazing last night, especially in that third quarter where he scored or assisted on 28 of the 33 points that the Phoenix Suns scored. I thought Torrey Craig was great at being that kid in the corner and knocking down some three balls. They got five made threes from Torrey Craig. That's a huge contribution for this team. And, of course, Kevin Durant doing Kevin Durant-like things, both on the offensive side of the court and the defensive side of the court. What stands out to me the most, though, is the heavy minutes played by the two stars for the Suns and – the, the disparity in bench score. You're talking about the Clippers having 30 points off the bench in comparison to the Suns, who had 13. I, I just don't know how long Monty Williams and company can go with that continuing to be their reality. They're going to have to get somebody to step up, whether it's Josh Okoge or Landry Shamit knocking down shots. Somebody's going to have to be able to provide them some bench scoring. Don't know where it's coming from, but they got to look into that because – it's not just about being able to get past the shorthanded Clippers, but it's about being able to make a deep playoff run in the West. And based on what we're seeing, man, they're going to have a hard time. Look, I don't disagree with the fact that they need to have more depth. I am not as worried about it as you are when we're talking about Booker and Durant specifically when I look back and I look at how many games they both played this year. I mean, Devin Booker played 53 games this season. He should be relatively fresh. Okay, and I know that he's, I know that it was because of injury, but he should be relatively fresh. Kevin Durant should be relatively fresh. I'll worry about it if they're playing 40 minutes a night and we're talking about getting to the finals. You're dead right. That depth is an issue, and that depth could be something that ultimately holds them back here. Um, for me, the one thing I, I come away with, this is what it's supposed to look like when you use Kevin Durant the way you're supposed to use him. <laughs> You know, that's what he is there for, and that opens up for Book to have a 38-9 and and nine game. Book's going to be able to do that anyway. When you have these two players, even though you have those concerns around uh, what your depth is, you're still going to be in a, a pretty good position. I just look at the whole, I don't feel like a great team to me right now. 
I mean, well, I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't necessarily agree with your conclusion. I just disagree on how you got there, big fellow. I, I, when you're trying to show your work, I couldn't follow the breadcrumbs because in the game that I watched last night, mm. there was no margin for error for KD or Devin Booker. And, and credit to Ty Lue because he realized who the head of the snake is. It's Kevin Durant. We're going to double-team Kevin Durant, and we're going to force other guys to make shots, and Devin Booker happened to be on that night, and he not only brought it, from an offensive standpoint, but his defense was outstanding as well. Through the first two games of this series, as the closest defender to any of the Los Angeles Clippers guards, those guys shot 32%. So D-Book is doing it on both ends. KD, as we know, is a two-way player. But if one of those guys has an off night, the inconsistency from Chris Paul, DeAndre's Aiden's tendency to get into foul trouble, like he did last night in the third quarter, you got a problem because you don't have a lot of reliable depth. Bismack Biombo, Really? Is that what we're going to do? You're going to find yourself in a world of hurt if you've got to play him heavy minutes. If Bismack Biombo is playing north of 15 minutes, that, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster if you're Monty Williams. So they got to find ways to be able to spell some of these guys, and they got to find contributions from guys off the bench. If they can't do it, there's no chance that they're even going to get to an NBA Finals and give Kevin Durant and Devin Booker a chance to hold up the Larry O'Brien trophy. I'll give you the guy that we were supposed to be getting more than this from, and that was T.J. Warren, because all I heard is that was an underrated part of the trade. Now, T.J. Warren's playing two minutes a night. That, that's not going to help. What that's about like, Terrence Ross on the buyout market? He was supposed yeah. to be a guy that was a, a contributor, doing much. too. He, he, well, he, he's not playing. He's a coach. He's a, he's a healthy scratch. Yeah. He's a healthy scratch. Like, I, like that's the thing. And Josh Okogi was supposed to be this guy that, hey, he can be an unsung hero. We're not getting those contributions that we thought we would from those guys. And so I, I am not as confident as you are that they're going to be able to get past the Clippers. I do think this is going to be a long series, six or seven games. And listen, with Kawhi Leonard continuing to show what he's shown, if they can just get Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon to be more, a little more consistent with what they're giving on offense, coupled with the contributions from bench scores, th- this is going to be a really interesting series. It, it, to be clear, it's not that I am thoroughly confident they're going to get past the Clippers. I, I, I'm saying they do not look anything like a championship team, and I also believe that this would not even really be a series right now if Paul George was playing. I still think that they... We'll eke by, but I agree with you that it'll be a long series. So next, we go to tonight and John Morant, a game-time decision for Game 2 for the Lakers. Now, Canty, as a Laker fan, I'm sure that you are thrilled with where everything is right now. There is no way that Memphis can afford to go down two games to none in this series, and that is probably the most obvious statement I will ever make. They have to find a way to win this game tonight, and it has to be through some sort of level of somebody stepping up because if you don't have Morant, Desmond Bain, there, there's just no margin for error. Desmond Bain, I don't know what that was in game one, but you better get it in gear because you cannot afford to go down two games to none going to Los Angeles. Even I, at that point, would have to sit there and tell you that the series is over. Oh, I know what it was for Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks in game one. It was terrible. Shout out to Charles Barkley. That's exactly what it was. It was about as bad as it could be. You're talking about those two guys combined for 11-31 from the field. You ain't going to win many games like that, even with Jaron Jackson going off for 30, if John Morant is diminished or John Morant happens to be out. So I, I, 
I didn't think that Memphis was winning this series anyway, but with a compromised Ja Morant from a health standpoint, whether he plays or not tonight, I have a hard time seeing a path to victory for the Grizz. I, I really do. If, if they are going to win, Desmond Bain is going to have to be lights out. Tyus Jones is going to have to play like one of the, the – going to have to be the best backup point guard in the NBA, period. That's what he's going to have to play like. Um, he's going to have to not only score the basketball, but he's going to have to be but a they, playmaker. I mean, but even but Chris, even so, they're going to target him all night. They're going to go right after uh, Tyus Jones all night. Well, I mean, th- listen, th- they're going to force the others to make shots. They're going to force guys to score buckets that aren't typically used to being the primary option on any given offensive set. So, yeah, I- I'm with you. I think the Lakers, the way that they defend, the way that they have rim protection from Anthony Davis, and combine that with the, the contributions and scoring from the others, not named LeBron and AD, guys like Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, uh, D'Angelo Russell, um, you know, what, 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 Rui Hachimura, who was outstanding in game one, like those guys, that collection of four or five guys, any one of those guys is capable of giving you a 20-plus point night. And so until Memphis solves that riddle of being able to stop those guys from getting theirs, uh, they're going to have problems in this series. They're going to have to start hitting some more shots, too. And that's where, you know, I mean, I hate this is the problem with bringing this up. You're, you're going to look to guys like Luke Kennard to be a bigger factor. You know, Luke Kennard's got to hit some shots. He's just got to be, he can't be scoring five, six points. This has got to be a night where he has 18 to 19. You're a role player at home. You have to step up to be able to do that. Jaron Jackson has to play like he did in game one. And then everybody else, I mean, Dylan Brooks, again, you said, just show, just show up and do what you're supposed to do and don't get caught up in yourself, which seems to happen with Dylan Brooks quite a bit. Well, let me just say this. I know we're looking at this game as a must-win for the Memphis Grizzlies, and I do think it is a must-win because if they lose this one, I'm not sure the series gets back to Memphis. But if the Lakers plan on competing for a championship, game two is a must-win for them as well because they've got two superstars in AD and LeBron that have had to deal with injuries this season, and they're two stars that are on the older side. Both of those guys are on the back nine. So I would say – that if you're the Lakers, the rest advantage that you could potentially create for yourself in round two against whoever you end up playing against, uh, whether it, uh, the winner of the Kings Warriors series, I-, I think that would be huge and that would be big, especially when you factor in how old LeBron James is. He's 38. So I just I think that would be a massive advantage for the Lakers being able to go on a title run. So not only is it a must-win game for the Grizz, it's a must-win game for the Lakers if they want to entertain the possibility of winning a championship. Jam-packed show, Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We are just getting started. So much more on the NBA playoffs throughout the course of the day. Want to get your reaction. Should Draymond Green have been suspended? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Lines are open for you right now. Up next, though, we will turn to the NFL draft. Bryce Young is now the overwhelming favorite to go number one overall. But should he? Mm. Some people don't think so. We'll tackle it next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Bryce Young is now minus 1,000 to go first overall. He went ahead and canceled a bunch of his upcoming interviews, so it looks like it's a done deal, him to Carolina. The ability that Anthony Richardson has is so unique. It is so unlike any other quarterback in this class. We're talking about a, a limitless ceiling, and that's what makes you so excited. That's why I think he would go ahead of a Hendon Hooker, ahead of a Will Levis. And if we're sitting there in 10 days and he goes ahead of C.J. Stroud, I'm not going to fall out of my chair and be surprised. We are just a little over a week away from the NFL draft. Bryce Young, as you heard, the prohibitive favorite to go first overall. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, on your smart speakers as well. We will be anchoring the coverage of the NFL draft on ESPN Radio beginning next Thursday, live from Kansas City. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Jordan Reed, a huge part of that coverage as well with Mike Tannenbaum. Ian Fitzsimmons and ESPN's NFL draft analyst, Mr. Reed, joins us right now. So, Jordan, first things first. You know, when Carolina first made the trade, there was an early thought that C.J. Stroud may have been their guy at the time. Why do you feel that there has been this all of a sudden massive widening in the gap between Bryce Young and the field for the number one pick? Well, I don't think anybody knows anything, honestly, that's outside (laughs) of the draft room. So I think a lot of people assumed that C.J. Stroud was the guy just because with Frank Wright working with bigger quarterbacks in the past, whether it's Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett, and then some of the other players that they worked with, Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers, the list goes on and on of these bigger quarterbacks he has worked with in the past. So a lot of people assumed that C.J. Stroud was going to be the guy. But we also have to remember that Scott Peter was in the draft room when the Seahawks selected Russell Wilson in the 2012 NFL draft. So I think Fitter, having all the control in the draft room, he sees a lot of resemblance in uh, Bryce Young that he saw in Russell Wilson when they selected him in the third round. So it makes a lot of sense why they would take him at number one. Jordan, the odds for who would be the number two pick have been bouncing around a lot over the last few days as we're leading up to 
uh, a week until the NFL draft. And, and my, I'm curious as to what's going on there between C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson and Will Levis you know, at different points. Each has been the favorite to be the second overall pick to the Houston Texans. Nick Casario, the general manager of the Texans, said that they're not open for business, but they're listening to calls for the number two pick. Now, listen, I'm I'm with you. This is lying season. Nobody's telling the truth. But when I look at the Vegas odds and I see them bouncing around the way that they are, it, it kind of feeds into the uncertainty around what the Houston Texans are actually going to do with the number two pick. Yeah, and, you know, the Texans are in a tough spot just because do you take the quarterback uh, as far as do you take Young or Stroud, whichever one comes off of the board, you take the opposite, or do you take the best player in the draft that I think is Will Anderson? So with them, it just depends on where they feel as if they are in their title chase for a Super Bowl, which they're still in the foundational stages, in my opinion. They still have a lot of needs on this roster, but nothing matters in a rebuild until you get the quarterback solidified. With them having the number two overall pick, I think they need to take advantage of being this high in the draft just because there's no guarantee that they're going to be in a similar spot next year. So whichever one doesn't go at number one overall, whether it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I would take one of those guys. So and there's a lot of talk of them possibly taking Will Anderson. I just don't believe that just because you have to take a quarterback in the distance. Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. He's going to be part of our coverage on ESPN Radio Live from Kansas City next week. Joining Canty and Carlin. Jordan, with the quarterbacks, what's your evaluation of them? How many of them should be in the first round, and how would you rank them? So my ranking is Young, Stroud, Richardson, and then Levis. I think that first tier definitely is Young and Stroud, and both of those guys, I don't think you can go wrong with either one, and I'll just start with Bryce Young. Just the poise, the playmaking ability, and the mobility that he brings to the table. His savvy, and then just how he keeps it even head, even keel. He plays with the same heartbeat, no matter the magnitude of the situation. If you think about their last two losses last year at Bama, which came to LSU and Tennessee, he gave them a chance in both of those games. It was the defense that failed them, that failed Alabama in both of those games. So with Bryce, even though he doesn't have the size, he makes up for everything with his poise and then also just the way he plays the position. I'll also add this. You can't hit quarterbacks like that in the NFL anymore. And, yes, I know that his stature isn't the best. He's an undersized player. But he's shown that he can win from the pocket. He can play outside of the pocket, too. So Bryce Young is my favorite quarterback in this draft. And then with C.J. Stroud, I think he's the most polished of this year's group. And I compare it to, like, watching an ace pitcher on a baseball mound. Everything is so smooth. It's fluid, and it just looks effortless of how he's able to hit any points in the strike zone. He can he can place the ball in any type of placement that he wants. There's a lot to like about C.J. Stroud, but he has to be in an optimal situation like how he was at Ohio State. You're throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and then you have two first-round offensive tackles. So he was he was set up to succeed at, at Ohio State. That's not taking nothing away from C.J., but we saw the best form of him at Ohio State. So you're going to have to have a really good infrastructure to really see his potential. And then you're getting into – more of the project type of quarterbacks with Anthony Richardson. We know he's a physical specimen at the position. And then also Will Levis, who does have some decision-making and then also is a bit turnover-prone. So you're going to have to battle with which player am I getting? Am I getting the junior version of Will Levis or am I getting the player that we saw last year? Talking with ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Jordan Reed on Canny and Carlin. And Jordan, we got reports today that the 49ers are fielding calls for their former first-round pick, Trey Lance, 
um, a guy that they took with a selection in the 2021 draft. If Trey Lance was in this draft class with these quarterbacks, where would you rank him? He would be in that tier with Richardson and Levis, um, in my honest opinion, just because he had a lot of question marks coming out, too. Only started one year. And, yes, I know he had that big year where he didn't throw any interceptions during that big freshman year, but they only played one year or one game, excuse me, during that COVID year. So there was a lot of question marks about him and surrounding him. But he, he's that physical specimen like Anthony Richardson of where he has a lot of potential, but he just doesn't have a lot of experience. Jordan, great stuff. Looking forward to talking to you an awful lot next weekend in Kansas City. NFL Draft, all the coverage on ESPN Radio, Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Jordan Reed, you can follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. Does an amazing job. We want to hear from you at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Should Draymond have been suspended? And are the Warriors... Now done in this series, or does this go the distance? That's the topic. Lines are open for you, 888-SAY-ESPN. Plus, we hear from Joe Dumars next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. NBA is suspending Warriors forward Draymond Green for stepping on the chest of Sacramento's DeMontis Sabonis. This is what made it more egregious, was the fact he got the tee, then he doing all this stuff to the crowd, yeah, Adam that's... Silver's in the arena, like, Draymond, you too damn old to be acting like that. Draymond shouldn't have done it, but he was punished for it already. The NBA is the reason why people think NBA players are soft. There's no reason for Draymond Green to be suspended for this game. You had one job. Don't step on his chest. That's it. Maybe if Sabonis is grabbing you, go down. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and on the ESPN app, presented by Progressive Insurance. Canty, let's hear from Joe Dumars, uh, the NBA Executive Vice President Basketball operations on the suspension of Draymond Green. If, if he doesn't grab his ankle, we don't have this. Here's the thing. Grabbing an ankle is one thing, and the referees dealt with it on the court, right? And so we, we, we feel like that was enough, that they dealt with it on the court. Technical foul. Golden State gets one free throw. You separate that out, and you go to Draymond now, and you go, okay, that was a bonuses act. Now what was Draymond's act? And so when you separate them out... I'll say the three things that I, I said a little while before, the act itself, conduct detrimental, and repeat uh, offender, that's where you end up landing with the, with the suspension, and the other one is where you land up with the technical foul. So, I, I, you know, of course, if he doesn't grab his ankle, we don't get here. But, uh, you know, the act itself we, we thought was a little bit overboard, a little bit there. Do you think it's fair to separate it the way he did? No, I, I don't. Here's, here's the problem with what he said. The referees dealt with it on the court in terms of Sabonis' actions. No, they didn't. They didn't deal with Sabonis' actions on the court. They didn't, they didn't blow the whistle when Sabonis had his ankle in the grasp, just like they didn't blow the whistle when Sabonis tried to hold him on the ground in game one and keep him from getting back on offense. They didn't blow the whistle. They only blew the whistle and stopped play when Draymond stumped on his chest. That's when it happened. So I completely disagree with the premise of what Joe Dumars said. Well, and I feel like it's apt in this situation for us to blame Joe Dumars because it's absolutely ridiculous the explanation that he gave. Now, was Draymond's actions an escalation? Sure. I'm not sitting here trying to argue that those two things are the same. 
But what I will argue is both of those players crossed the line when it came to something that's acceptable in the realm of basketball in competition. And that's the part where I just don't necessarily buy the suspension for game three. I thought the discipline that the officials doled out in game two was enough because ultimately they were the ones that decided that the Sacramento Kings were going to win game two by taking Draymond Green off the court for eight minutes in the fourth quarter. I don't think you think you need to then turn around and say that Draymond Green is not going to play for the entirety of game three. They did deal with it in the fact that once they stopped it and it all happened, they did assess a, it's They, they did were, a but here's the thing. Tone. If you're Draymond Green, you don't know that they are going to blow the whistle because they didn't blow the whistle the night before. They go down. And, if he goes down, they blow the whistle. True. I mean, if he if he he was down in game one and they tried in and Sabonis tried to hold him down. They didn't blow the whistle. They didn't blow the whistle. It didn't happen. So why would I have confidence that the official is going to do the right thing in that instance? And then, oh, by the way, he's grabbing my ankle and I'm just supposed to fall down and and believe that nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to get hurt. Stop yourself. You're not going to do that. You're going to try to get out of the grass, keep that guy from holding your ankle. But, but I, don't, I don't have a problem with Draymond Green trying to get out of that situation at all. I don't. But, now, do I think he could have avoided stepping on Sabonis? I do. I don't think the answer to the issue that we saw or the play was for Draymond Green to go down. Mickey in North Carolina is on ESPN Radio. Mickey, what's going on? Draymond Mickey. has been through this. Yes. Go ahead, bud. How are yeah. you? All right. Hey, Draymond has been through this once before. And he's cost his team a championship. And we keep seeing this same stuff over and over again, man. Come on. Y'all know he should have been suspended. He got what he should have gotten. And I think they need to do more and to set an example. Oh, no, they're not going to. No, that's silly. Uh, the idea that they need to well, do more well, is you can ridiculous. Say if you want to. Well, no, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, Mickey. Even I don't think they should do more on that. And I'm with you that they made the right call to suspend him. But to say you should do more? No. That absolutely makes no sense whatsoever because then you're over-punishing. You're talking about setting an example. They just did that. And it's not even setting an example. Like, I, I even hate that idea that it's, uh, we're, we're showing everybody else. This is about Draymond and his history and the fact that this was this was avoidable. This was avoidable. Scott's next on ESPN Radio. Scott, what's going on? I believe the wrong person got suspended. I think both Draymond and Sabonis should have got a one-game suspension because Sabonis initiated the issue at hand on the court. You had six, seven people within a three-foot circle underneath the hoop and had everybody standing around him, and he just sitting there started grabbing people. I mean – Throw your hands up, get picked up, go on with the game. But Sabonis initiated the contact with Draymond. Now, Draymond, I would say it, it's now become a typical response with his emotions in the game, but that's Draymond. But, uh, yeah, Sabonis should have gotten a one-game suspension on top of this as well. Well, here's what they're not going to do. They're not going to give Sabonis the suspension because it was believed that Sabonis was the victim under the circumstances. Now, I don't think that he's the victim, but that's how it's perceived by the general public. So I think that they, they're they okay with the technical foul um, issued to Sabonis in that situation. What I will say is this. Moving forward, 
There is no more benefit of the doubt with borderline plays for Sabonis in the rest of this series and no. the rest of the postseason. He doesn't get that. Like right now, there is a bullseye on Sabonis' back in the eyes of the officials. So I'm going to be watching closely what happens in game three and how the refs call it because we saw some of the same borderline play from Sabonis throughout the regular season and on into game one of this series. So I'm curious to see whether or not they have quick whistles or uh, a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to Sabonis uh, moving forward. Now, as far as Draymond is concerned, I think they did send a message, and, and it's clear to me that the if the commissioner being in the stands and having a front-row seat to Draymond's antics played a factor in terms of the level of discipline that they ultimately doled out to him. I don't agree with it, but I do understand it. But to sit here and suggest that – it's sheerly based on the escalation and Draymond stomping on him. I don't buy that one bit. Hey, Sabonis absolutely should have a target on his back. Chris, he stayed in the game for Pete's sake. I mean, he's in the game down the stretch. And then afterward, we're talking about him going and getting x-rays and he's questionable for tonight. Please. Here's please. one thing I will he's say, though. If you want to talk about Draymond costing the, sec, uh, the Golden State Warriors another championship, the Golden State Warriors don't win the four that they got without Draymond Green. So I get why this you might true. point to 2015, 2016, or you might point to this season as to Draymond standing in the way of a championship. But remember, they don't get those other championships without Draymond Green being the kind of player that he is. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.